I hope I don't get in trouble today by this topic. I don't know that there's any legitimate reason for me to be in trouble by talking about this. Uh, we do have the uh, traditional scruples as Protestant evangelicals uh, regarding this topic. And uh, so I hope you'll stick with me and, and uh, bear out our time together. I'm always concerned that uh, we take a biblical approach to any topic, including this one. And so to ask you the question, is Mary our mother, is a provocative title. And it may get you a little nervous, but I do beg you to stay with me. I'm not going to introduce to you some new found insight about um, Mary being a co-redemptrix, as the Catholics would say, or that we should start saying the rosary or uh, set up statues of Mary in our churches or any of that kind of nonsense. I don't think that's at all biblical, nor do I think that's something that any church should be practicing. Uh, on the other hand, tradition, like the Catholic tradition I just mentioned, uh, is certainly part of our temptation, even as Protestant evangelicals, to the point where we may get to the other extreme, where we just utterly disregard Mary altogether. And since we're in the Christmas season, I thought it might be interesting, since she's so prominent in this season, for instance, say, uh, a neighbor who owns a corner lot down the street from me uh, along an arterial uh, every year puts out a really lovely, rather large, wooden nativity scene. It's lit up at night, and people drive by it all season, and it's really quite impressive. It is imaging well the birth of Jesus, and the the whole manger scene there is really a, a kind of a warm hearted way of approaching this season. Uh, certainly better than Santa Claus <laughs> or candy canes or something of that nature. So I, I want to just begin because recently uh, uh, we were in church, my wife and I were in church listening to a sermon and the, the reference was to Genesis 3, uh, 14 and 15 at one point, which of course has to do with the fall. So I want to begin there. And then what I'd like to do is just kind of walk you through the progressive revelation from Genesis up into Revelation. Anywhere, and I'm not going to keep you long, but I, I'm not going to overwhelm you, but, but I do think we need to look at this. I do think we just need to pause and, and make sure that we haven't gone from the extreme of the Roman Catholic approach to some kind of hard-hearted um, dismissal of Mary. I mean, because after all, she is the mother of Jesus, right? I mean, can you imagine having a, a close friend of yours that you've known all your life and, um, and had even at one point during your life uh, made some serious sacrifice for you to be able to uh, stay healthy and, and prosper, and you really owed this person your life, and you were close, you were bonded with this, this other person, and, and you, you wanted to know everyone in his family who, who also was very, very kind and, and towards you, except you didn't want to know his or her mother. You didn't tr treat her with disdain, you just kind of ignored her when she was in the room. And that's my concern. That's my concern is that, that Protestant evangelicals 
often just kind of ignore Mary, even though she's so prominent within our redemption. And I'm not saying she's, again, I'm not saying that she's a co-redemptrix or, you know, we have to look to Mary for salvation or any of that kind of nonsense. All I'm offering you is a warm-hearted view of who this woman is, biblically, to you and I as evangelical Christians. And so uh, um, let me begin then uh, with the Genesis text, as we just read it. Um, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's Genesis 3.15 again. Now, we know that the serpent was incarnating the enemy, the, the, the Satan himself. And we know that the offspring of the woman, as being prophesied here, is Jesus. And we know that Jesus crushed the head of the serpent at the cross. Satan was defeated at the cross. There's no remedy for his defeat. Whereas the serpent struck Jesus on the heel, and so, but it was not um, permanent, as is indicated, of course, by the resurrection. So Satan thought he had gotten his greatest victory when it's really, really his own greatest defeat at the cross. And at the resurrection, Jesus had a glorified body, though he still bears in his body the scars of the crucifixion and will forever bear those scars. And he's now ascended at the right hand of the Father wherever he, where he lives now to ever make intercession for you and I so that we persevere in the faith and the Spirit makes his presence known to us. We are forever being interceded. He's ever interceding for us, day and night. So, but who is the woman? Now, we know, again, who the serpent is. We know who the offspring of the woman is. And sometimes commentators will look at the woman and say, well, that's just the woman in general. But that doesn't seem to be right since the text is leading us to the progressive revelation of who these are, who these other players are here. So let's look forward a little bit into the prophets, beginning with a very familiar text in Isaiah 7, 14. And I'll begin with verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? And therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call him Emmanuel. Now that's a very familiar text to many of you, especially this time of year around the Christmas time. And then we move on in our progressive revelation to discover that that, of course, is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1. And so, um, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and then we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the woman by Genesis chapter 3, we learn in Isaiah 7, is a virgin woman. And then in Matthew 1, we discover that that progressive revelation has occurred to now we understand that the virgin is Mary, the virgin Mary. And her virginity is very important because Jesus was not born and did not pass on human seed in the traditional way and so did not pass on sin. Jesus was born uh, by a, a creative power of the Holy Spirit within Mary's womb. And so he is human. He is fully human and yet without sin. And this, was, this occurred through the instrumental person and body of Mary of Nazareth the wife of Joseph, the espoused wife of Joseph. And so the angel had appeared to Joseph and said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife because that which is born in her is of the Holy Ghost. And so now we know it's Mary. And then we can look and see that Mary plays a rather prominent place throughout the rest of the Gospels, uh, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verses verse 6 and 7, for example, we read, um, I'll start at verse 4, so Joseph also went up in from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then later down in verse 22 of that same chapter of Luke, um, Luke chapter 2, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took uh, to Jerusalem uh, to present him, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And so those are two more incidents. And, and even in Luke chapter 2, she appears again in verse 48. And then they had been searching for the boy Jesus. The 12 years had passed now since his birth. And they had been to a festival. And his mother and Joseph were on their way back. And they discovered that the boy Jesus was not with him. So they hurried back to the temple, looked around for him, uh, and finally found him at the temple uh, conversing with some of the scholars and, and uh, teachers of that day. And, and when they found him, when his parents saw him, they were astonished, it says in Luke 2.48. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. To which Jesus responded, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Mary was a woman. She was a woman like any other woman. She had emotions. She had 
thought. She was she didn't walk around with a halo around her head. In verse 51, it says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Isn't that beautiful? She treasured all these experiences with Jesus. Even the terror of thinking they'd lost him and finally found him. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is a very real human family with very real exchanges going on between them. And then there's a couple of incidences in John where Mary is mentioned. Um, and, but we'll skip forward to John chapter 19 at the cross. John chapter 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. That's the mention. His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, Here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So whatever you might think of Mary, Jesus thought enough of her, of course, to see to it that he would entrust his mother into the hands and the care of John, the beloved disciple, and that he united them together, took one's hand, if you will, by the other and put it in their, each other's hands, so that now John was to treat Mary as his own mother, and Mary was to respect him and look to him as her own son. Now, how much that extends by extension to every Christian is a controversy, of course. The Catholics say that she's uh, John represented the church, the whole church, and that Mary is to be treated by us as, as our mother, and, and she treats us uh, however the saints do that in heaven, as our mother. And so um, we'll leave that there. So Now, she shows up again in Acts chapter 1. Verses 12 through 14. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day walk. Of course, this is post-resurrection. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where uh, they were staying, and post-ascension, too, of course. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They were all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Now, along with the women, if, if the Holy Spirit would intended that we just treat Mary in the abstract, just as the woman through whom the offspring would come in Genesis 3, why did the Holy Spirit mark her out here? They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with women, 
the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers? Those are questions that I think is important for, our, for us to ask. When the angel appeared to Mary and she went to her uh, cousin Elizabeth, Mary was quite overwhelmed with the prospects that she discovered in that. So let's slip back to Luke real quick. Because she says something about herself that I think in the inspired text is recorded and we must respect. Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 56 uh, is that context. But in that, and so in that text, let me find it here. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary's giving all the glory to God. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Mary is speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering the merciful to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. End quote. And then it concludes with verse 56. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So we have here a clear progressive revelation that the woman in Genesis 3 is not just woman in the abstract. Now, granted, in Galatians chapter 4, uh, Paul refers to the birth of Jesus as being born of a woman. He doesn't go into detail about who that woman was, and that's fine. That's not his point in the text. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So there is room to be abstract about this. But then let me close now with Revelation chapter 12, just a few verses. I hope what you're seeing here is I'm just asking you to be reasonable and don't deprive yourself of the fact that the, the Bible holds Mary in esteem. It holds her in esteem. And it doesn't elevate her above her son. It doesn't elevate her above anyone else. But it does hold her in a special place where, as she just spoke in the inspired text, that future generations will call her blessed. It is understood then. She's blessed amongst women. Only one woman was chosen to bring the eternal son into the incarnation and to be born of that woman. That's a blessed state. And it's something we should be very grateful and praise God for. 
that he chose that woman, chose a woman of his, of his electing grace to bring the eternal son in to share our humanity so that he could redeem us from the fall of our humanity. And then now in Revelation chapter 12, we read this, and then we'll close. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. See, that's a clear reference to Jesus. And we look at Psalm chapter 2. And her child was snatched up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to, uh, to a place prepared for her by whom? By God, where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Clearly, a symbolic date, number of days, for however long it takes for her to receive care until this um, now and not yet time that which we are living is fully realized. Our redemption is fully realized, and we have new bodies as well. There's a new heaven and a new earth. So I'm not going to get into any interpretation here. We don't have time for that, other than to say that it is a uh, clear here that Satan's fury was toward the woman as well as towards the seed of the woman, the, the, the offspring of the woman. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And Satan's fury is towards that child. And her child was snatched up to God into his throne. So, you can decide here. My obligation here today was just to introduce you to the biblical view of Mary. Now, is she our mother? Well, the fact that Jesus came to share his relationship with his Father with us in the most meaningful, true way that we could ever imagine, way beyond our imagination, so that we are united with him in his sonship, and that we can cry, Abba, Father. God the Father is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we can say our Father as well. So whether or not you want to refer to Mary as your mother is up to you. I don't know that I will, but I think we need to give her the place that the Scripture gives her in her honor and esteem and not be so antagonistic in our fear of being referred to as Catholic or, or we're being idol worshipers or we're doing 
And I'm not suggesting that we do any of that. I'm just saying, let's not kick Mary out of the church. <laughs> just because the way the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox treat her, let's not do that. If we see a sign or a symbol this Christmas season of the Madonna holding the infant, rather than draw back in horror, let's pause and give thanks for the reminder that Jesus was born of a virgin, fully human, entered human history, lived the perfect life, taught us, offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, and then was raised by the Father on the third day, and has ascended now to the Father so that we are justified and he is interceding for us every moment of every day so that we persevere in the faith, so that we continue everything we, every breath we take, every step we walk, take is a direct result of his faithfulness to us. And we have this great hope that one day we shall see him as he is and we shall be like him. And all those who have their hope in him, it says in 1 John 3, 3, all those who have this hope in him purify themselves even as he is pure. So there's a biblical view. This is how the Bible presents Mary. And we can maybe, maybe soften our hearts a little bit, open our minds a little wider, and at least adopt the biblical view of Mary. Amen.